All right, welcome back, Spiritual Crusaders, and thanks for joining us on our podcast and YouTube channel. Uh, my name is Craig Conover, and if you've not had a chance to visit us at spiritualcrusade.com, please do so. Our goal is to create an atmosphere of learning where people can be can be drawn closer to their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and we have lots of different ways that we do that. We have... Uh, just launched debbie is heading up our new come follow me video and we just created a podcast for her and for that um, come follow me section as well and so definitely go check that out we also have you know daily content that we put out we put out talks we put out memes and and, and picture quotes you know and different things like that we also have lesson helps for uh, priesthood and release society and all the general conference uh talks that are that are given so we have a lot of amazing and fun content but you won't know about that unless you come check us out so come and come back often and enjoy what we put out um, to help people to draw closer to their savior so today we're going to be talking about actually two conference talks we're going to talk about build a fortress of spirituality and protection by um, ronald uh, rasband and then also we're going to be talking about where will this lead, and that's by Don H. Oaks. So I'm excited to be able to jump into these two talks. We're going to be focusing mostly on build a fortress of spirituality and protection, but we will definitely weave in uh, some pieces of where will this lead by Oaks. So let's get started. If you, to start off with, if you are just absolutely stunned and blown away by the beautiful picture of the Salt Lake Temple that I have on, on the title page here if you're watching the YouTube version. And that's just because I'm an amazing photographer. No, <laughs> just kidding. But, but I was actually pretty impressed with this picture of the temple that I took. And this is uh, that we took this last summer. So anyway, let's, uh, let's get started here. So I wanted to start off by understanding what the definition of a fortress was. So I went ahead and went to the Oxford Dictionary. And there's a two, two definitions that, that uh, really came up. One, a military stronghold, especially, strong, a strong, uh, uh, especially a strongly fortified town fit for a large garrison. And there's some other synonyms there of like fort, castle, you know, blah, blah, blah. The second one, though, is really, uh, really, uh, I love it. It's so, it's so good. It says a person or thing not susceptible to outside influence or disturbance. Now think about that, not susceptible, right? It doesn't get in, right? It's not influenced at all by outside um, influences or disturbances. So I thought that was really, really good. Think about that kind of definition as we're going along here, talking about building our spiritual fortress, right? The, he's, Ronald, uh, uh, Brother Rasband, starts off and he says, Christ-centered homes are fortresses for the kingdom of God on earth in a day when prophesied the devil rages in the hearts of the children of men and stirs them up to anger against that which is good. And so think about this, right? And, and, and I put, if you notice, the, the picture is a sandcastle. Right, with a big old fortified wall all the way around it. And as I was you know, putting this together, it just made me think a lot about our 
last vacation that we just went on a couple weeks ago, where we went to, took our kids up to New York. The, the fi our five oldest sang at the uh, MCO con concert in Carnegie Hall. And that was an exciting time for them. But on the way, and when we're up there, we went to the beach. And we went ahead and made a couple different castles with fortifications, right? And we had a contest to see who could do, do the best. And we had my wife's sister. She brought her family, which are exact opposite of our family. They're all, all boys and we're all girls practically. But anyway, so that's kind of fun. But here are four of the castles that we that we, uh, we built or the fortifications that we built. And they had a contest to see who could protect from the waters, you know, the, the best. Well, unfortunately, they built them up too high. So <laughs> the waters really never came to challenge their beautiful, their beautiful uh, construction work here. But I built one before they before we started the contest. I wanted to challenge myself, and I built one pretty close to the water. And oh my goodness, that was really difficult to build a fortress that could withstand those waves uh, in, the, in the kind of the time frame that I had, of course, in between the waves. And but it just really got me thinking a lot about that. We have to put in the time and the effort to build our fortresses, and we are doing it amongst all the waves of Satan, right? And so we we can't waste any time and any effort. We've got to get get going and get started, right? And I'm just going back to this really quickly. And the key is a Christ-centered homes can really build that fortress to withstand Satan. Uh, next, he says, people have built fortresses throughout history to keep the enemy outside. Often those fortresses include a guard tower where watchmen like prophets warned of menacing forces and coming attacks. So as I was reading this and thinking about this, first of all, the picture I put, I think is amazing, right? They, this, this big old fortress is built up on a mountain or a big old wall that you can't even climb to get to that, the castle to begin with, right? But you've got those guard towers up there that can see far out and see what, what uh, it, you know, obviously what danger lies out there. But also I've been reading... Uh, listening to the book by Sherry Dew, Insights from a Prophet's Life. Uh, you know, um, Russell M. Nelson, I think, is, is the, the title, the full title on that. But they were talking about the family proclamation of the world. And we're going to go ahead. I'm just going to play one chapter. It's about eight minutes. And it's so good talking about how that came about. And what I think is so amazing is the words that Sherry uses in how to describe how they can see so far out. They could see it all coming and they planned and prepared and created a document that just encompassed a defense against what was coming. And as you're listening to this, I want you to be also pondering this question. How can we be better watchmen for our families or our callings, whatever our stewardship is, how can we be better watchmen for our families? Okay, so let's listen to this uh, chapter, and then we'll continue. Episode 44. The proclamation was a surprise to some who thought the doctrinal truths about marriage and family were well understood. Nevertheless, we felt the confirmation, and we went to work.
Elder Dallin H. Oaks. One day in 1994, the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles spent a day in their council room in the Salt Lake Temple discussing issues surrounding the family. They considered everything from the increasingly ubiquitous nature of pornography to potential anti-family legislation of various kinds. This was not a new discussion, but that day the entire agenda revolved around this one vital topic. The Twelve reviewed both doctrine and policies, considering those things that could not be changed, doctrine, and those things that possibly could be, policies. They discussed issues they saw coming, including an intensified societal push for gay marriage and transgender rights. But that was not the end of what we saw, Elder Nelson explained. We could see the efforts of various communities to do away with all standards and limitations on sexual activity. We saw the confusion of genders. We could see it all coming. This extended discussion, along with others over a period of time, led to the conclusion that the Twelve should prepare a document, perhaps even a proclamation, outlining the Church's stand on the family to present to the First Presidency for consideration. It, the proclamation, was a surprise to some who thought that doctrinal truths about marriage and family were well understood without restatement, Elder Dallin H. Oaks would later detail in a general conference address. Nevertheless, we felt the confirmation, and we went to work. Subjects were identified and discussed by members of the Quorum of the Twelve for nearly a year. As an outgrowth of these discussions, a committee consisting of Elders James E. Faust, Neil A. Maxwell, and Russell M. Nelson was appointed to draft a document. Elder Faust, senior to the other two, suggested they each write a draft and then bring them together. Out of that initial merged document came a version for each member of the Twelve to review and revise. Prayerfully we continually pleaded with the Lord for His inspiration on what we should say and how we should say it, Elder Oaks explained. We all learned line upon line, precept upon precept, as the Lord has promised. Finally, a proposed text was presented to the First Presidency, who revised and refined it further. The document had just received approval from the combined First Presidency and Quorum of the Twelve when, in March 1995, President Howard W. Hunter passed away and President Gordon B. Hinckley became president of the church. Though the senior brethren encouraged him to read the proclamation at the April General Conference, President Hinckley felt it was too early in his presidency to make a major policy statement, and he set it aside. But six months later, without informing anyone, he built his message in September 1995 for the General Relief Society meeting around the family, a proclamation to the world, introducing it with these words, with so much of sophistry that is passed off as truth, with so much of deception concerning standards and values, with so much of allurement and enticement to take on the slow stain of the world, we have felt to warn and forewarn. In furtherance of this, we of the First Presidency and Council of the Twelve Apostles now issue a proclamation to the Church and to the world as a declaration and reaffirmation of standards, doctrines, and practices relative to the family. While the document was well received by many church members, the general reaction was almost ho-hum. Nothing in it seemed particularly earth-shattering. For many, the proclamation seemed to be little more than a restatement of well-understood, time-honored principles about marriage, family, and gender identity. In 1995, marriage between a man and a woman was a given. That gender was an essential characteristic of individual, premortal, mortal, and eternal identity was regarded as uncontested fact. 
Few people of faith, or organized religions for that matter, disputed the notion that family was ordained of God. But we could see what was coming, said Elder Nelson some years later. What seemed so obvious in 1995 is now a standard really for the entire world. Over the years I've given copies of the proclamation to many governmental leaders not of our faith, who've been grateful, telling them they were free to use it in any way they might care to. I remember talking to a vice president in a Central American country, a woman in charge of health, education, and welfare, which, of course, concerns the family. She practically wept as she thanked me profusely for sharing this document. As the years marched forward from 1995, and advocacy for various rights increased, particularly LGBTQ advocacy, the relevance and significance of the proclamation began to take shape. In a relative few years, dozens of countries, including the United States, legalized gay marriage. Transgender issues came to the fore, with celebrities and other influencers popularizing the notion that gender was a matter of choice rather than a divinely directed reality. Criticism of the Church's doctrinal position as well as policies associated with that doctrine came from both outside and inside the Church. Society increasingly hurled cries of bigotry toward anyone who opposed gay marriage on religious or moral grounds. There are those who label us bigots, said Elder Nelson, but the bigots are those who don't allow us to feel as we feel, but want us to allow them to feel as they feel. Our stand ultimately boils down to the law of chastity. The Ten Commandments are still valid. They've never been revoked. The commandment for a man to not even look at another woman in lust, for if he does, he's already committed adultery in his heart, is not only in the Bible, but in the Book of Mormon and Doctrine and Covenants as well. That powerful message is our stand. We cannot change it. We welcome people of different attitudes into the church, but it is not our prerogative to change laws that God has decreed. Elder Oaks signaled the importance of the family proclamation in this way. Forty years ago, President Ezra Taft Benson taught that every generation has its tests and its chance to stand and prove itself. I believe our attitude toward and use of the family proclamation is one of those tests for this generation. The Book of Mormon declares that seers have the spiritual capacity and endowment to see things others cannot see. As Ammon taught Limhi, a seer is greater than a prophet and the gift of seership is paramount among spiritual gifts. For a gift which is greater can no man have, except he should possess the power of God, which no man can. But a seer can know of things which are past, and also of things which are to come, and by them shall all things be revealed. Seership and the proclamation on the family are inextricably connected. Hopefully you enjoyed that as much as I did. It was just so powerful to see and hear how our prophets and our apostles, our prophet and our apostles, could just see so far out. They truly are the most powerful watchmen in the towers. And hopefully, you listened about how you and thought about how you could be better watchmen for your families and those of you have stewardship over. In early uh, Utah pioneer times. Brother Rasband talks about his great-grandfather Thomas Rasband and his family were some of the first settlers to enter the Heber Valley. He also mentioned that in 1859, Thomas helped construct the Heber Fort. Built for their protection, it was a simple structure of cottonwood logs, 
positioned one next to the other, forming the perimeter of the fort. Uh, and that, that, that was used to provide both security and safety for those pioneer families. Now, I, I'm not a construction guy. <laughs> Uh, my, my wife wishes I was, but when I try to do little handy work around the house, I typically do more damage than good. <laughs> so I, I wanted to understand what does it, you know, what went into making these forts, you know, using logs to build cabins, to build fortresses, you know, what, what kind of went into that? What, what effort, what work? Because it, I know it didn't just appear one day, right? It, it, a lot of work and effort had to go into it. So what I did is I went to YouTube and I actually found a good video that talks about this, this guy that makes, made a fort, you know, out of, out of logs. And he did it without all the fancy tools that we have. You know, and I thought this is really a pretty amazing opportunity. So what I did is I took it, I kind of took, it was about an hour video, and I condensed it down to just like two and a half minutes. And I sped it up and stuff. But I think it's a great video to watch. And as you're watching this video, I want you to be thinking about what, how does this apply to building our spiritual fortifications? All right, so, and those that are on the podcast, I will just have to jump uh, through, the, through this two minutes for you. All right, so it's just interesting, you know, looking at that and watching that, and they had to cut down the trees, strip the, strip the bark off, prepare the wood, cut little gouges in the wood so it fit together nicely. I mean, there was just a lot of effort and prep work that went into that. And really, again, think about that as, as how that applies to building our spiritual uh, fortresses. Brother Rasban continues, he says, Our homes are fortresses against the evils of the world. In our homes, we come unto Christ by learning to follow his commandments, by studying the scriptures and praying together, and by helping one another stay on the covenant path. The new emphasis on personal and family study in the home through the curriculum, Come Follow Me, is designed to deepen our conversion and help us become more like Jesus Christ. Now, a couple of things there, right? Our fortresses that we build, that is going to take place in the home, right? As we come into Christ as we keep the commandments, we study the scriptures, pray together, right? Those things that we do on a daily basis is how we build that spiritual fort, right? That's how we prep the word, what wood, we cut down the trees, all those things. Now, the Come Follow Me program that they wrote, that the Lord has instigated and has instituted is absolutely paramount for me. I mean, it's just amazing what they put together and what the Lord has put together for us. And this is something that we need to really understand what value it is to us and to our families. And, and, and here's what, here's what a, an apostle the Lord says. He says that this curriculum, this program, is designed to deepen our conversion and help us to become more like Jesus Christ. That's awesome. And actually he continues, he says, in so doing, talking about the come, doing the Come Follow Me program, we will become what Paul called 
new creatures with our hearts and souls in tune with God. I love that. In tune with God. We become new creatures in Christ and our hearts and souls are in tune with God. And then he says, we need that strength to face and deflect the assaults of the adversary. So what I did is I put together a come follow me self-evaluation. This is just six simple questions that we can ask ourselves and analyze and say, okay, how am I doing in each of these little, in these, these, these different areas? And what can I do better? Right? What can I implement in my life, my family's personal life, my family life, so that we can have an even more powerful, enriching experience through Come Follow Me. So first question, how is your personal study going? Feel free to pause the podcast, the, the YouTube uh, channel here, or the YouTube video, to give yourself some more time to think about this, maybe write down your answers. But how is your personal study going? Second, how is your family study going? Third, what benefits have you seen already? We've been doing this for, for a while now, right? What benefits are you already experiencing in your family and in your personal life? The next three are, are going to be the action questions, right? So number four, what benefits would you like to see more in your personal or family experience around Come Follow Me? What would you like to see? And five, what is one way you can improve your personal study? I love to say today, right? <laughs> right let's not put it off until tomorrow because we know tomorrow's never come. Right? What can you do today to improve your personal study when it comes to Come Follow Me? And number six, what is one way you can improve your family study? Again, today. What can you do today to improve your family study? Right? This is a, a heaven-inspired program. How can we utilize it more effectively? So some, some questions to kind of think about there. Rasband continues, he says, as we live with devotion born of faith in Jesus Christ, we will feel the peaceful presence of the Holy Ghost who guides us to truth, inspires us to live worthy of the Lord's blessings and bears witness that God lives and loves us. All this within the fortress of our own homes. And then I love this, I put this in bold, but remember our homes are only as powerful as the spiritual strength of each one of us within the walls. I think that little piece is so important. Let us not be the weakest link in our family. Let us be the, the, the leader, right? Let us go forward and lead our homes and not be the weakest link when it comes to spiritual strength in the home, okay? Now, the other thing I loved about this is the word devotion. And I wanted to take a little, a little look at more closely what does devotion mean? So again, I went to the Oxford Dictionary and it defines as love, loyalty, or enthusiasm for a person, activity, or cause. I thought that was great. Love, loyalty, or enthusiasm for a person or a cause, okay? We, devotion to Jesus Christ is what we need to foster, we need to create in our own lives and in our family's lives. So the question I want you to ponder 
is how can we become more devoted to Christ and the building up of his kingdom? And how can we help our families to be more devoted to him as well? This is a quote that Razban quoted of the prophet. And it's one we've heard over and over again. The question I'm going to ask you, though, is are we taking it to heart? Are we really understanding the impact of this, right? And also, I want you now to listen to this quote with new ears as if this is the first time you've heard it and take action on it, okay? Here's the quote. In coming days, it will not be possible to survive spiritually without the guiding, directing, comforting, and constant influence of the Holy Ghost. Now, hopefully you heard that. I'm, I'm, I'm just highlight two pieces that I put in red here. Right? It is not possible, will not be possible to survive spiritually without the constant influence of the Holy Ghost. The prophet did not say, you might be able to survive. The prophet did not say, it'll be difficult to survive. He said, it will not be possible, not be possible to survive spiritually without the constant influence of the Holy Ghost. I don't know about you, but for me, that was a direct like command as I was studying this, I need to seek after this with all of the energy of my heart and my soul. How can we get the constant companionship of the Holy Ghost into our lives, right? What can we do? What do we need to put in order? What do we need to change? What do we start need to start doing more of to have that constant companionship of the Holy Ghost so that we can hear the Holy Ghost prompting us, directing us, guiding us, and comforting us, and then take action, right? Both are extremely important. So I, I just want to really emphasize that. And hopefully this time it just, it just sunk in deep to your soul. We need to seek this out and have that constant companionship of the Holy Ghost because I don't know about you, but I want to survive spiritually. <laughs> All right, the next quote. For our safety, we must build a fortress of spirituality and protection. For our very souls, a fortress that will not be penetrated by the evil one. I love that. Not be penetrated by the evil one. We must create a fortress that cannot be penetrated. You know, we don't want to create a fortress that we can have. We have a back door we can open once in a while to let in our favorite sin. No. <laughs> not be penetrated at all is what we need to create in our lives, in our families' lives, so they can have that protection as well. Satan is a subtle snake sneaking into our minds and hearts when we have let our guard down, faced a disappointment, or lost hope. He entices us with flattery a promise of ease, comfort, or a temporary high when we are low. He justifies pride, unkindness, dishonesty, content, sorry, discontent, and immorality. And in time, we can be past feeling. 
that past feeling is interesting. We hear about that in the scriptures a lot, right? When we have when we have rejected the Holy Ghost, the promptings in our mind, the, 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 our conscience, which is the light of Christ, when we, when we reject that over and over and again, we start to become past feeling. Continuing, the Spirit can leave us, and thus the devil cheateth their souls and leadeth them away carefully down to hell. We need to have all of our defenses built strong and fortified so that does not happen. Uh, he, next, he says, when we build for a fortress of spiritual strength, we can shun the advances of the adversary, turn our backs on him, and feel the peace of the Spirit. We can follow the example of our Lord and Savior, who, when tempted in the wilderness, said, Get thee behind me, Satan. We each have to learn by the experiences of life how to do that. Right? That is our challenge. We must learn to literally tell Satan to get behind us. And that means all of our sins, right? And all of our shortcomings. And we have to learn to move forward, move upward, and move onward, right? Toward toward um, exaltation and eternal life. So let me just ask you, what are some ways that we can fortify ourselves in troubled times that we may be instruments in the hands of God to bring about this great work. And I want you to ponder that question. And I love how it says it's twofold, right? It's not just fortify ourselves so we can be, you know, tucked away, protected, hidden from the world. No, no, no. The, the, The second part of that is how can we obviously fortify ourselves, protect ourselves in such a way that we may be instruments in the hands of God. Okay? That's what I think is so interesting. It's not about shielding ourselves, protecting ourselves, and hiding ourselves. It's about strengthening ourselves, that we are fortified against Satan and can go out and be instruments in his hands and do much good in this generation and really bring about his work. I love that. Right? That's what we're supposed to be here to do is bring about the kingdom of God on earth. So take time to kind of ponder, what are some ways that you can do that? Can you increase your, your, your scripture study? Can you make it more heartfelt, more meaningful? It's really interesting. So in, on Sunday, when we were talking about the Come Follow Me program for that week, the chapters for that week, talking about Romans 7 through 16, and it, it was really talking about the... And actually, before that too, Romans 1 through 6, I think, or something like that. But we're talking about the law, the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law. And the letter of the law is, you know, to be obedient, right? To obey the the, the commands and be obedient just for the sake of obedience. Whereas the spirit of the law is we do the obedience and we do it in such a way that we become changed, Right where we have the Spirit with us to guide, to direct, and that those acts of obedience can actually change us so we can become new creatures in Christ and have that mighty change of heart. Why? Right here. So that we can become better instruments in the hands of God. So the letter of the law would be fortify yourself, right? protect yourself, and let that be good enough. The Spirit of the law says, no, no, no. 
let's protect, shield ourselves. Why? So that we can become changed. We can be more like Christ and we can be instruments in his hands and serve him and bring about um, many, bring many souls unto him. Kind of cool. Kind of cool. All right. Then he continues. He says, do we act with the willing obedience of Nephi? Or are we more inclined to question God's commands, as did Nephi's brothers, whose lack of faith eventually turned them away from the Lord? And I really love this. I love Nephi. I mean, Nephi was a powerhouse. I mean, think about him, right? When, when, when Lehi had his, his vision of the tree of life, and he told his family about it, I have no doubt that Nephi would have been obedient, would have followed his father, and would have you know, been a, a great, diligent son. But he took it one step further. Again, letter of law versus spirit of law, right? He took it one step further, and he wanted to know for himself. And he did. He went to the Lord and said, show me the things that, 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 he, that you showed my father, and he did, and the Lord showed him um, basically all things because he just wasn't able to write a lot of it because it was uh, given to John to write. But the, it's, so, it's so interesting. And, and what about us? You know, we should be like that, right? We should be obeying, and yet we should seek to have a higher level of obedience, right? Which becomes that level of transformation, right? And in... Therefore, Nephi became even a greater asset to his father and to the Lord because he knew for himself. He had that personal burning testimony and that sheer knowledge for himself. And therefore, he was able to be even a greater um, servant and a greater um, asset to his father and to the Lord. And then he says this, it's an obedience exercised with holiness of heart is what the Lord asks of us. And then he says, We trust the Lord who said to Joshua, as he prepared to lead the Israelites into the promised land, Be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. So, again, we know that story. We know the power of that, right? And... You know, the parting of, of the Jordan, all of those, those wonderful things that happened. But there was a level of trust, significant level of trust in the Lord. But even, even going up to the water, the waters did not part until they first put their foot into the water, right? And so it's, it's so powerful, that, but the, the, there's a level of trust. We have to trust the Lord. He will be there for us, but he's not there to eliminate all of our roadblocks, no, because no, we, we don't learn that way. He's there to strengthen us so that we can leap over our roadblocks, right? And, and be strong. But we have to have that trust. Uh, next thing he says we have to have is we must stand for the truth, as did the prophet Abinadi in the Book of Mormon. Again, such a powerful story. Abinadi did not make, out, make it out, there, out of there alive, did he? But he delivered a message that stood through time. And it's recorded the Book of Mormon, and it brought Alma, the senior, to the gospel, who was a great prophet. And he just really started an amazing thing. 
But again, he stood for truth. And we need to do, we have to stand for truth, regardless of the outcome for us. We must stand for truth. Next, we make and renew our covenants by partaking of the sacrament and by worshiping in the temple. That sacrament that we take every day, I'm sorry, every week, <laughs> uh, is, is so vital. We take the time to really look at our ourself, be introspective and, and repent of our uh, shortcomings that week. And then uh, and we'll be filled with his spirit. So that's the promise. And then, of course, worshiping in the temple. Find time to go to the temple more often. We should have integrity in all that we do. I love that. All that we do. Not in one or two things, but in all things that we do. And I don't remember where I heard this story, but there was an assembly line, and the son was on the assembly line and, and saw one of, the, one of the products that the, the, they were, the dad was, was selling, and it wasn't perfect. And was, but he let it, he let it go. And the, the dad stopped him and said, no, 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 remove that product. And said, we only want the best product with our name on it. And it's kind of cool. It's like, what are we doing? You know, what is our name going to be known for? Right? What product are we putting out? We were told in the scriptures that you shall know them by their fruit. What fruit are you producing? Okay. Is it fruit with filled with integrity? Or is it, is it uh, fruit that, that has some some flaws in it, right? We have to be infib. Everything that we do must be done with integrity. This is actually where Oaks' uh, talk comes into play. Where this, where will this lead? And I'm just going to pull one, just this one quote from his talk. His talk was amazing, and this is the idea though behind it. Our present and our future will be happier if we are always conscious of the future. As we make current decisions, we should always be asking, where will this lead? Where will this lead? And that's important for us. Will it lead us closer to our Savior and our Father in Heaven? Or will it distract us? Right? Will it put us on a path further away from our Savior? Where will this lead? That is a very important thing that we should be asking ourselves, right? and utilizing as we're building our fortresses of faith and of spirituality. Where will this lead? Uh, Razband, he continues, says, as we diligently strengthen our fortifications, we become like Jesus Christ, as his true disciples with our very souls in his protection. His protection, right? When we create our spiritual fortifications, we are putting the Savior in charge, right? And we will be in his protection. And think about that for our families. Wouldn't you want your family to be protected by the Savior himself? It starts with us. We must begin to build those fortifications. And then Razban says, your testimony of Jesus Christ is your personal fortress, the security for our souls, for your souls. When my great-grandfather and his fellow pioneers built the Heber Fort. They put up one log at a time until the fort was fitly framed together and they were protected. So it is with testimony. And I love this picture that I put with this, right? Of the log cabin, you know, where they put one log on top of another, on top of another right? And it just shows that it's the same with our testimony. Our testimony builds one log at a time until it is fitly framed together and we have that protection from the Savior. 
Our testimonies connect us to the heavens, and we are blessed with the truth of all things. And like pioneers, protected by a fortress, we are safely encircled in the arms of the Savior's love. And again, this picture is just amazing. I mean, the, the heavens parting, right? We are connected to the heavens. I simply absolutely love that. We are connected with the heavens. And then as we build our fortification, we're encircled in the arms of the Savior's love. Amazing imagery. And reality, too. That's, a, that's, that's reality. But we have to do our part. That's the key. We have to do our part. If you never build the fortress, the enemy is not going to be stopped. Very simple. We have to take the time every single day to build our fortress, fortify ourselves, fix any, any leaky parts of our fortress, right? That, that might be weakened or whatever it may be. We have to build and build and build and fortify and fortify and fortify ourselves against the onslaught of evil that's out there. And when we do, we're connected to the heavens and we'll be encircled in the arms of the Savior's love. So powerful. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, I leave you with my blessing to go forth with confidence in the Lord and in his gospel. Put your arms around those who stumble and with the strength of the spirit within you, lead them lovingly back to the fortress of spirituality and protection. Uh, here's, I love this part. Seek to be like Jesus. Seriously, think about that. We must not just say it. We must feel it. Okay, We must seek to be like Jesus. Seek is an action word. Right? We must seek to be like Jesus in all that we do. Shun evil and temptations. Repent. As we were admonished yesterday by our dear prophet, be honest in heart, be upright and pure, show compassion and charity, and love the Lord your God with the devotion of a true disciple. We learned about devotion, right, earlier. I love the adoration. Ad 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 <laughs> I can't say that word. Uh, but And the loyalty, right? And also with enthusiasm, right? We must love the Lord with all of those things so that we can be, devo uh, be um, devoted to him and be a true disciple. And I'm going to end with, with this quote by uh, Razband. Our testimonies of the gospel of Jesus Christ, our homes, our families, and our membership in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints will be our personal fortress of protection Surrounding us and shielding us from the power of the evil one. Again, it's quite simple. I love this. By the way, I took this picture <laughs> of the of the uh, um, uh, angel Moroni on top of the LDS. Uh, let's see the um, Salt Lake Temple. Sorry, Salt Lake Temple. And we were up there last summer. But I mean, think about this. Is to kind of bring this whole lesson together. This really answers it for us. Right? We want our families, our homes, we want them protected. And as we do that, as we build that fortress of protection, well, that fortress of protection, we will be shielded from the power of the evil one. 
and again so that we can better serve. That's the key. We're here to serve others. We're here to bring souls unto Christ. We must protect ourselves so that we can be great instruments in the hands of the Lord to bring about his great work. And I just want to bear testimony to you all that as we build our fortresses of spiritual spirituality and spiritual strength and power, we will be unlocked and unleashed to bring about great works in these last days. We have been chosen to and, and reserved to come down at this time because the Lord knows that we have the ability to do a great work. Let us not be slothful. Let us not dilly-dally any longer. Let us go forward with strength, with the power of God, build our fortresses of, of spirituality and protection, and go out and bring souls unto Christ. And I bear, these th- bear this, my testimony and say these things in the name of our Savior, even Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, see you guys next time.